Blog Talk Radio. Is he gonna make it, Woodrow? Want a buck on this? What do you say? Okay, you got it. Oh, Woodrow, you're gonna have to pay me. You're gonna have to pay me. Huh? I want to buy tonight. We're ten percent. We're ten percent a day around here in Jersey, where I come from. That's called the juice. The juice. Break. and Sportsbeat Radio, this is Sportsbeat, a provocative, insightful, informative, and educational show that we hope will educate the sports listener to the specific of sports. With interviews, analysis, and a comprehensive look at the topics we feel will be appealing to the listener, and with that said, we're not just your average call-in, same subject, same question, over and over, ego-filled show, but we like to think of ourselves as... So why not sit back, and for the next 30 minutes or so, we hope you'll find the program informative, educational, and above all, enjoyable. And with that said and done, this is Sportsbeat, and we're coming at you live, and I'm your host, John Spoolis. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this Monday program, the 18th day of September 2023. Thanks so much for joining us on this segment of Sportsbeat Radio Talking Sports, as our uh, music didn't know when to stop there. Uh, it's been a long time since we've been with you, since uh, about mid-July. A lot of things happen in the summer, grandkids and everything else, and so uh, we don't have the peace to be able to do a show. But we're back in the saddle today, and today we're talking about uh, one of the stalwart coaches of the NFL, uh, uh, of a bygone era, and that is Bill Parcells. We call him the Wonder Coach. Thanks so much for joining us on yet another segment of Sports Beat Radio Talking Sports. And today we're going to be talking about Bill Parcells. You heard the sound bite uh, from him, and uh, we'll be playing some sound bites throughout the show. And one of the interesting things to me is people ask a lot on this show when they write in questions. Uh, about uh, what would it be like if Lombardi came back? Could he coach today? Could George Hallis, the longtime owner of the Chicago Bears and the longtime coach, coach today? Uh, could uh, Joe Gibbs or George Allen or Sid Gilman, Hank Stram, uh, just to name a few, Al Davis, could any of them coach today? Of course, the majority of them are gone now. Uh, onward to uh, greener pastures in football heaven, hopefully. But uh, I don't. I think the answer to that is that the game has changed so much. You know, Bill Cower of CBS, who was one of the uh, anchors there, been for a long time, has always been uh, the subject of uh, coaching vac- uh, vacancies. But Cower has been away from the game so long that I don't know that he could coach. And when we look at Coaches like Vince Lombardi, they had a certain autonomy about them. The game was different then because coaches ruled with an iron fist. Lombardi was the general manager as well as he was the coach of the Packers. And that wasn't unusual uh, in those days. So was George Allen. George Allen was more of a a speaker uh, than he was a disciplinarian. And uh, Parcells really kind of 
signified that era, that tough, uh, you know, demeanor about him like Lombardi. Uh, you know, but the game today is all about players. It's all about the celebrity. It's all about me. You know, these uh, celebrations that they do, and when they get a first down, they march their fingers forward for a first down, and we see it in these pre-game shows where everybody is into themselves and the celebrity of it, and a lot of the young people like all that, but as a veteran of sports, particularly growing up in the 60s, uh, I'm not real keen on, uh, you know, individuals. I'm not real keen on celebrity. I'm not real keen on one person. I like team sports, and that's what Lombardi's Packers were. That's what Joe Gibbs' uh, Redskins were. That's what Hank Stram, although Hank had a little bit of an ego, you know, 65 plus power trap. Didn't I tell you boys, you know, matriculating the ball down the field? You know, he, he had a, uh, a little bit of an ego, and I think all of us do. But it was about the team then. Lombardi didn't care who was the star of the team. He only cared about winning, and you won as a group. George Allen used to say, you know, at that time, 45 men together, that was the roster then, can't lose. And yet, you know, under this uh, sheet of armor, this Ankylosaurus-type armor that uh, Lombardi had and Parcells have and all these other uh, coaches, uh, there was a demeanor about them that was uh, giving and very charitable. Uh, Vince Lombardi was a, a, a guy who was very, very deeply involved in his Catholic faith. He said that you are a proponent of God, family, and then football when you played for Vince Lombardi. And he made sure that all of his players attended uh, service, whether they were Christian or Jewish. And he would find uh, specific places on the road for them to worship And as tough as Parcells was as a coach, uh, just recently, I don't know if any of you heard this, but he gave $4 million of his own money to various giant players who were in financial strife. And when asked about it, he said, they gave me everything and I'm giving back. And so underneath all of that is this, uh, you know, charitable coach, these uh, men who, who really regulated the game at the time, and we don't have anybody like that now because the game is different. Coaches, you know, the last coach we saw like that was Mike Singletary, and if you remember him, of course, he was part of that great Bears 85 team that defeated the Patriots in the Super Bowl uh, with uh, Jim McMahon as quarterback. And, you know, when you look at the scope of uh, these coaches, these these uh, great coaches, uh, they couldn't coach today. It's all about the celebrity. Singletary was, I said, uh, to finish the statement, it was part of that Bears defense. And many said it was the greatest defense of all time, along with the 2000 Ravens that beat the Giants in the Super Bowl. But Singletary came in with that Vince Lombardi austere uh, way about him, and it didn't go over. It grabbed players by the mask and, uh, you know, disciplined them and uh, ostracized them in front of other players. He would bench them, and that didn't go over in today's market. And as a result, uh, Singletary was fired. And so the game has changed, and one of the interesting aspects of it is, you know, when Joe Gibbs was with the Skins way back in the 80s, and he had uh, Riggins, John Riggins, and he had, you know, some of these great players, Theismann and all these players, uh, and I've always said that players make the coach. 
name me the last great team, uh, a great coach that had bad players and won a championship. It doesn't happen. But, you know, when you look at coaches uh, at this point today, they couldn't really hold uh, down a position uh, of, uh, of, of coaching today like they once did uh, during their reign in the 60s. Gibbs came back uh, after his NASCAR uh, situation. He got involved in NASCAR. And then he came back to the Redskins, and, he, and, and the game passed him by. Couldn't win because the era of football changes, sports changes. You know, we look at the NBA, it's now a three-point circus. We look at baseball, they've bastardized that, you know, made the big uh, bases bigger, put a man on second in the extra innings, uh, pitch clock, this, that, and something else. And so the game has changed. Red Arback couldn't coach today for the Boston Celtics, as great as they were, the dynasties, the 11 championships. Scotty Bowman and Toe Blake probably couldn't coach today in the NHL. Even the NHL is different. Some of the players are, you know, well over six feet. That wasn't the case. Goaltenders, 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, so, you know, it was one of those uh, kinds of situations where they ruled with uh, an iron fist and yet were uh, autocratic in some ways, and yet their demeanor was very soft. You know, Vince Lombardi, when he coached, uh, gave all of the uh, players uh, wives fur coats and girlfriends. And then he would have each player come in at the end of the season, each one of them, in his office, and uh, he would go over things. They all had their speeches ready. They wanted to raise. In those days, you know, a $1,000 raise was big-time money. And he would have his book in front of him and tell every player, you know, the negatives that you did. You fumbled on the five, you missed three tackles, you did this. But then at the end, he would stand up, shake their hand, tell them they were a hell of a man, and give them $500 raises or $1,000 raises or $1,500 raises or whatever the case may be. <clears throat> so when you look at it, you know, uh, it was an interesting situation to say the least.
Got me? I don't mean anything. Though you acknowledge that you might see the Redskins down the road, does the thought of that scare you? Let me tell you what I'm scared of. I'm scared of spiders, snakes, uh, and the IRS. Not the Redskins. Well, you know, they're in our league. It's competition. I look forward to that. Coming up. used to come out to practice football. That's right. Now we're having team meetings on the field. And uh, everything's scripted. Yeah, oh, yeah. If we didn't have a script, we couldn't coach. I didn't know what a script was about the first five years in coaching. So getting back to Parcells, you heard some of the sound bites there, uh, courtesy of NFL Network and NFL Films. And, you know, we want to talk a little bit about him uh, because he was the head coach of the Giants. Everywhere he went, he was a winner. He took the franchise and qualified for the playoffs only once in the past decade and had only one winning record in their last ten seasons. And within four years, he guided them. Uh, to their first Super Bowl title and won a second championship in Super Bowl 25 four years later. He retired following the second Super Bowl, but came out of retirement in 93, if you remember. And he became the head coach of the Patriots, another struggling franchise, before Brady got there. And by his fourth season, New England reached Super Bowl 31. Although the game ended in defeat, Parcells left the Patriots after their Super Bowl loss and became the head coach of the Jets who went from a one-win season to appearing in the AFC Championship game by a second year. He retired for a second time in 1999, but returned again in 2003 as the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. And the Cowboys made two playoff appearances under him, although both ended in first-round defeats, leading to his third and final retirement of 2007. So following his final retirement, Parcells has served as vice president of football operations for the Dolphins, a position he held from 2008 to 2010. He was inducted to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2013. If you remember, uh, he was uh, also responsible for uh, putting Tony Romo in as a quarterback. And, uh, you know, with uh, Drew Brees, of course, we all know uh, Mo Vaughn's big hit on Drew uh, not excuse me, not Drew Brees, uh, Bledsoe, I get it right. Uh, Mr. Bledsoe, the quarterback for the uh, Patriots, who uh, was hit by, uh, you know, a, a jet. His uh, career basically went in tailspin. Tom Brady comes in, and on that one play, Brady's career was made. Bledsoe was traded to Buffalo and then went to Dallas where uh, he lost his job to uh, Tony Romo when uh, Parcells was there. But Parcells was a winner really everywhere he went. He was born in Jersey. You heard the soundbite earlier when he was arguing with the player there in 1940. He grew up in the nearby town of Hasbrook Heights, and his mother, Ida Parcells, uh, was a housewife while his father, uh, Charles, played quarterback at Georgetown, and he worked for the FBI before becoming a lawyer for Uniroyal Tires. And uh, prior to his sophomore year in high school, Parcells' family moved a few miles north to the town of Oradell, where he attended Riverdale Regional High School. And while he was at Riverdale, he was routinely mistaken for another boy named Bill, and he had always disliked his given name of Dwayne. So those of you who didn't know, his real name was Dwayne, and he decided to adopt Bill as his nickname. He and his wife lived on 
Pleasant Avenue and upscale Upper Saddle River, New Jersey, were also home uh, to the uh, Parcells family. So he was an athlete as youth, 6'2". Uh, upon entering River Dell, he was large for his age, which enabled him to become a standout player on his high school's football, baseball, and basketball teams. And his coach, football coach at Riverdale was Tom Cahill, who would later become the head coach at Army. And his basketball coach at Riverdale was Mickey Corcoran, whom Parcells considers to be, next to my father, the most important influence in my life. Corcoran would serve Parcells as an advisor and confident throughout his coaching year. So graduating from high school, he attended Colgate, and as a freshman, he was offered a contract by the Phillies, and his father disapproved of a career in sports and wanted him to study law like him. So the young Parcells declined the offer and soon transferred to the University of Wichita, which is now Wichita State University, a very good basketball school, as you know, where he played linebacker and earned a physical education degree. And it was there that Parcells' famous nickname, Big Tuna, took hold. The name itself is a misstatement of his actual nickname, Tuner. And there were few radio stations in Wichita at the time, so players often trained without music, and Parcells, showing the kind of preparation that would make him a successful coach later, frequently arrived early to training sessions in order to set up a radio. So with that, Parcells would try several locations in the gym to get a signal, and his diligence and attention to detail earned him the nickname Tuner, T-U-N-E-R. This subsequently became Tuna, likely due to the accents of the New York media who covered the Giants. So he was drafted in the seventh round, 89th overall, by the Lions as an offensive lineman, but he was released by the team before playing a single NFL game after Parcells reportedly quit the team after a hot morning workout. So at the conclusion of his playing days, he took a close look at his future. He was considering attending law school or becoming a franchise owner for Pizza Hut, believe it or not, where he had worked in college. Instead, he pursued a career in football, and he became an assistant coach at Hastings in 1964 before moving to Wichita State in 65, Army 66 through 69, Florida State 70 to 72, Vanderbilt 73 to 74, Texas Tech 75 to 77. And in 78, he became the head coach at the Air Force Academy for one season. So while serving as linebacker's coach at Army, Parcells was also a part-time assistant basketball coach for Bob Knight during the 66-67 seasons, which led to their longtime friendship. So then the Giants, uh, Parcells in 79, accepted an offer to become the defensive coordinator for the Giants under Ray Perkins. But before the season started, he resigned to take a job with a land-developing company in Colorado. And while living in Colorado, Parcells became the season ticket holder with the Denver Broncos, Parcells called it the most miserable year of his life, and feeling dissatisfied with his life away from football, he returned to the sport in 1980 as a linebacker's coach for the New England Patriots under Ron Earhart. And then the following season, he was approached once again by Perkins to join the Giants staff as an assistant coach. He accepted, and as a defensive coordinator and linebacker's coach, he was allowed to change the team's 4-3 defense to a 3-4 system. And when Perkins announced on December 15th, 1982, that he was leaving the Giants at the end of the season to become the head coach and athletic director at Alabama, the Giants announced that Parcells would succeed him as head coach. So when he took over in 83, the team had posted just one winning season, as we said earlier, in previous 10 years. In his first year, he made a controversial decision to bench Phil Simms in favor of Scott Bruner. And the result was disastrous. 3-12 in one season during the Giants' Uh, offered Parcells' job to University of Miami head coach Howard Schnellenberger after a Week 14 loss to the Cardinals, 
Schnellenberger declined and Parcells remained as head coach. And after a dismal first season, Parcells made Sims the starter, and the team's record improved to 9-7 and seven and 10-6 over the next two years and earned them their first back-to-back playoff appearances, 61-63. In 86, he led the Giants to the first Super Bowls, and in 86 season, the Giants completed a franchise-best 14-2 and two record. That was when they played 16 games, and first of three division titles. He led the Giants to the second Super Bowl in 1990, and the Giants began the 1990 season 10-0, but lost Sims to injury late in the season and finished 13-3. So he played with backup quarterback Jeff Hostetler and a 33-year-old veteran running back Otis Anderson, and the Giants convincingly defeated the Bears in the divisional playoff 31-3, and they followed that up with a dramatic come-from-behind fashion over the 49ers 15-13, in the NFC Championship game on the last second 42-yard field goal by Matt Barr, set up by Roger Craig's fumble, caused by nose tackle Eric Howard. So during his coaching tenure, the Giants had secured three division titles, 86, 89, and 90, had only two losing seasons. Tom Coughlin, uh, Parcells, along with former head coach Tom Coughlin, both made the NFL playoffs five times as Giants head coach and two Super Bowl titles. They each won with the Giants occurred in the fourth and eighth season with the uh, franchise, respectively. And then, of course, you know, he had a series of, of uh, retirements. Uh, Parcells, you could see it in his face that it was strenuous. Uh, you know, it's a 20-hour day sometimes 24 hours these coaches are you know have offices with a shower and a cot and most of them stay retired then he came back with the patriots in 93 and uh, he left the patriots after disagreements with robert Kraft, who had bought the team in 94 after parcells first year as head coach uh, parcells had effectively been the team's general manager since arriving in new york but felt Kraft would not allow him enough input in player personnel decisions so Upon his departure, Parcells famously stated, they want you to cook the dinner, at least they ought to let you shop for some of the groceries. And this was the main uh, reference in an incident in the Patriots' war room during the 96 draft. Parcells wanted to draft defensive end Tony Brackens with their first round choice, but was vetoed by Kraft. They ultimately selected Ohio State wide receiver Terry Glenn. Then, of course, he goes to the Jets in 97, uh, they sought Parcells as head coach and general manager after a 4-28 and record under the great Rich Kotite, who many Jet fans certainly want to forget. And to circumvent Parcells' contractual obligations, the Jets hired Bill Belichick, the number one assistant to Parcells, as the Jets' coach, and then hired Parcells in the advisory role. So New England threatened legal action against Parcells and the Jets, but the NFL commissioner, Paul Tagliabue, brokered a deal between the two sides with New England releasing Parcells from his contract and the Jets giving New England a third and fourth round pick that year, a second round pick the next year, and a first round draft choice the year after. And Jets owner Leon Hess at the time gave Parcells complete control of the football operations, the main sticking point in his dispute with Kraft. So on he went to the Dallas Cowboys in, in uh, 2003, 5-11 was uh, the following three seasons. Cowboys owner Jerry Jones lured Parcells out of retirement, made him the head coach in 2003. Uh, in his first season with the Cowboys, he led them to the playoffs with a 10-6 record, losing eventually NFC champion uh, to the NFC champion Carolina Panthers in the opening round, making him the first head coach in NFL history to guide four teams to the playoffs. 
the 2004 season was in turmoil. Uh, Quincy Carter, the starting quarterback, was terminated for alleged drug use in favor of 40-year-old veteran Vinny Testaverde, who had been brought in uh, to the Cowboys from the Jets by his former coach in the offseason. And while a favorite of Parcells, Testaverde proved ineffective as a starter, and the Cowboys started strong with victories against Cleveland and Washington, but injuries, older personnel, spotty play calling, and persistent penalties hobbled the Cowboys, and they quickly fell to a 3-5 record, finishing 6-10. and And then, of course, you know, the 2005, the 2006 season, uh, Dallas would finish, uh, Parcells would finish with Dallas with a 34-30 record and no playoff wins. Parcells' greatest accomplishment as Cowboys head coach was to develop, as we said earlier, the quarterback Tony Romo. He signed the quarterback in 2003 and helped him develop into a Pro Bowl quarterback by 2006. And then the third retirement uh, with the Cowboys, he had been facing questions all year as to whether he would return to the Cowboys to coach his final season, and with his 0-2 uh, record, over four years as coach of Dallas, many had begun to wonder if the game had simply passed him by. As we said earlier, immediately following the Cowboys' loss to the Seahawks, Parcells said he was unsure if he would return in 2007, and the rumors about Parcells' future escalated. So on January 9th, the Newark Star-Ledger reported uh, through anonymous sources that Parcells had contacted the Giants about their available general manager position, but the Giants were not interested in Parcells' services. Parcells, the next day, quickly refuted any interest in the position stated there was absolutely nothing to it. Whoever said it is a liar. Of course, Bill Parcells uh, never minced words. And then after retiring from coaching, uh, he became a studio analyst, if you remember, for ESPN. And this was his fourth stint with the network, having worked there before accepting the job in Dallas, where he coached both the Cowboys and a little league team for charity. And it was rumored that ESPN offered him a position on Monday Night Football, but Parcells declined the opportunity. It's also worth noting that ESPN still held a contract with Purcells as a broadcaster, even as he coached the uh, Dallas Cowboys. So in uh, 2007, they reported that Parcells had signed to become the new executive vice president of football operations of the Dolphins. Uh, he would go on to uh, finish the 2008 season 11-5. and five. Then he had an advisory role with the Cleveland Browns back in 2014. And uh, so it goes with uh, Bill Parcells. You know, really one of the super coaches. Uh, you know, everywhere he went, he had that magic touch. He also was a flamboyant coach. He was much like Lombardi, uh, but on the other side of the coin, you know, greatly appreciating his players, as uh, I mentioned earlier, giving away $4 million of his wealth to uh, some of the disadvantaged giants. Uh, that he felt were instrumental in uh, the city of New York and gaining uh, you know, Super Bowls and also uh, enabling him to become uh, a coach of Satcher in New York. Uh, you know, most coaches today uh, are not of that vein, and as we said earlier, uh, coaching has certainly changed because the game has changed. It's not the same game. You know, we have a question, uh, Ask Sports Beats, one of our segments here, uh, and we have a question from... Uh, uh, John uh, in Flagstaff, Arizona, and he writes, uh, do you think the Jets can win with Zach Wilson? Now, of course, you know what happened with uh, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Zach Wilson uh, was dismal last year. He wasn't too bad yesterday against Dallas. One of the things with Zach Wilson is I think he's never been proven with talent. He's a second-round pick, and uh, his competition wasn't great. 
at the school that he was at. And one of the things, you know, NFL teams glamour for high draft picks, particularly quarterbacks, who usually don't work out, as we've seen, uh, you know, uh, Max Leinart and also uh, Ryan Leaf, to name a few. And Zach Wilson came up during COVID, where some of the teams played no games. Some of the colleges played three or four or five games. Some played seven. Some played ten. Some played twelve. It depended where you were. And he was very lucky to be the draft choice as high as he was because of COVID. So he was never really uh, proven as a quarterback. But this is the year for Zach uh, Wilson. He has a better defense. They could have won last year with their defense. They lost to Detroit uh, at home to cost them a playoff. They have much better weapons in Lazard and Cook and a better line and so forth. So, And also the tutelage, once he gets back to the sidelines, of uh, Aaron Rodgers, who will – uh, you know, teach him the finer points of the game for every play. If he can't make it this year, he probably shouldn't be wearing an NFL uniform. This is a guy who can't complete a screen pass without throwing it over or under. He throws interceptions, he overthrows players, and he doesn't know what to do brain-wise with the ball uh, when nobody is open. So we'll have to see uh, if he certainly has the talent. No, I don't think the Jets are going to be Super Bowl contenders. No, I don't think they're going to win their division, and I don't know if they're going to have a winning record with Zach Wilson. We'll see what the Jets do as the trade deadline comes up uh, on Halloween this year, uh, the end of um, October. So we'll see you know, where it goes. Well, I'll about do it for our show today. Thanks so much for joining us on this segment of Sports Beat Radio Talk and Sports, where we were talking about the wonder coach, Bill Parcell. Thanks so much for joining us. All of you uh, enjoy, of course, now uh, Major League Baseball coming up to its last month, next few weeks. Uh, football, of course, uh, in its third week now, and uh, hockey starting in October, basketball starting a little bit later in the NBA, and all the sports will be going. Sportsbeat's been a presentation of Mountain Meadow Productions and Sportsbeat Radio. Until tomorrow, all of you have a great day and great sports. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Be safe. We'll see you again.